Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megyn Kelly. Welcome to The Megyn Kelly Show. Excited to be back with you after uh, I'm, I'm hot off of a trip to Disney with my family and my, my kids and uh, had a super great time and I've got thoughts. Uh, but first, I want to bring you the name of today's guests. We're excited. You know these guys, but you may not know them exactly as we're about to introduce them to you. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton, hosts of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton show. And these guys are taking over most, virtually all, is I think it's fair to say, of Rush Limbaugh's old stations. So it seems like Premier Radio has basically found the bet they want to make. And I totally support their choice because these two are they're funny and they're interesting and they have clever takes on things. And I love listening to them individually. So I think you're going to enjoy this show. And I think you're going to enjoy their new show as they continue building their respective media empires. Uh, anyways, lots to go over today. Uh, I haven't yet had the chance to talk about Jeffrey Dubin at CNN. I got thoughts on that. We're going to kick it off there in one minute. First, this. Let's get right into it. I, I have so much in my mind. So I was off for the, the latter part of last week. We had shows, but I had pre-taped them because I was at Disney with my family, which was awesome. So I did not get the chance yet to weigh in on Jeffrey Tubin. We need to talk about this. Yes. I am so grossed out by this guy. I cannot believe it, that they are still using him on CNN. Could they find no other legal analysts, Clay? I mean, you're a lawyer. And as I understand it, you've been banned from CNN. <laughs> you were banned because you said you like boobs. Yeah, yeah, boobs <laughs> in the First Amendment. And it's not like they were paying me. I'm banned as a guest. It's not as if, you know, <laughs> like they're making the conscious decision to give me money. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know what Allison Camerata did that she had to pay the sin of being his cleanser. How did she get that assignment? I mean, it had to be a woman, probably. They were afraid, probably, of having a guy do it. So uh, it's a fun discussion. I wouldn't say no to interviewing a guy accused of Me Too stuff. I really wouldn't. But this is not exactly that. This isn't a Me Too situation. This is a gross, right. disgusting pervert who couldn't keep it in his pants long enough to complete a work call. Look, I mean... I, I think that for me, Megan, when you break this down, first of all, like three or four years ago, I went on CNN and I said that I was a uh, uh, believer in two things, the First Amendment and boobs, right? It's a funny line. It's a sarcastic <laughs> it line. 
Because if you say that you're a First Amendment absolutist, it kind of goes over people's heads. So on my radio show a long time ago, I started saying, hey, the only two things that have never let me down are the First Amendment and boobs, right? And so it's, a, it's you know, sort of an irreverent, zany line to drop. It isn't very serious. CNN lost its mind when I went on and said that. And on top of that, like a week later, Hugh Hefner died, probably the original First Amendment and boobs uh, spokesperson, right? And they treated it like he was a head of state who had died. So the, 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 the disconnect there. But then they bring on Jeffrey Tubin and they make the decision that they're going to continue to pay this guy despite the fact that he got caught masturbating uh, during a Zoom call that had just ended, he thought. Whatever the reason might be, it's ridiculous, no pun intended. His initial defense was, I thought the camera was off. It wasn't yeah. even like, I thought it was over. He just thought he had muted. Or I think he said, I thought I had hit mute. He just thought it was ongoing, but they couldn't. What kind of a person thinks the Zoom is ongoing, whips it out and pleasures himself? There's something wrong with him. I, I, look, he's an incredibly talented writer, but the idea that CNN can't find someone else to be their legal analyst and that they're willing to trot this guy out to talk about masturbating. And I love, by the way, that he said, I've been working at food banks since then. Oh, okay. Well, oh that's fine. God. You know, you, you oh can go God. jerk off wherever you want. If you go to a food bank afterwards, we all know that takes care of it. I hope you use a lot of hand sanitizer because th those yeah. homeless people do not deserve that. Yeah. Look, the idea that CNN would be so desperate to bring this guy back that they need to have, and you could speak to this better than me, but a uh, female CNN employee sitting there basically whitewashing his behavior and that he needs to address it on CNN. I, I thought the whole thing was strange. Look, if he wants to write an apology and they want to post it on CNN.com and it even has one of those hostage video looks, you know, where he's sitting by himself and he's like, I apologize to anybody that I, like whatever. If they want to do that, that's their right. But I just think the hypocrisy in saying, Clay Travis, you can't ever be on as a guest on CNN. And by the way, I'm doing Fox News hits now, so I'd be rather be in front of their audience, which is much bigger. But the idea that I could never be on CNN again because of the First Amendment and boobs line and they bring a guy who got publicly caught masturbating on to talk about that in the middle of the day during their programming. I, look, you just need to have precedence. And the hypocrisy here to me is mind blowing. It's so cringy. Let's play the Camerata tube and soundbite. What the hell were you thinking? Well, obviously, uh, I wasn't thinking very well or very much. And um, it was something that was inexplicable to me. I didn't think I was on the call. I didn't think other people could see me. You so, thought that you had turned off your camera? Correct. I thought that I had turned off the Zoom call. Now, that's not a defense. This was deeply moronic and indefensible. I'm trying now to say how sorry I am. Uh, sincerely, in, 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 in all seriousness. Above all, I am sorry to my wife and to my family, but I'm also sorry to the people on the Zoom call. Buck, you worked at CNN. You you know these people. This is a guy who's got a history. He, it was well documented in the news. He had an affair with a CNN contributor's daughter who was in her 20s when Tubin was married with kids of his own. He got her pregnant. He offered her money to have an abortion. She didn't want to. He denied paternity. Then it was proven he was the dad. She had the baby. He tried to get out of paying support for the baby. She had to say, I'm going to publicly humiliate you with all your colleagues at CNN by telling them you won't acknowledge your responsibility to this child. And then finally, when he knew he was going to be professional 
emotionally embarrassed, according to I think it was the New York Daily News who reported on this. He started he finally paid up. Then there were other reports of women talking about his creepy behavior coming on to them at work events. This guy has got an issue. I don't know what the hell his issue is. I don't really want to know, but I do not want to see him talking about the Supreme Court or anything else. And I couldn't give two shits about his time at the food bank. Buck? Yes, uh, that is all true. Uh, CNN is a bad place run by bad people. And I can speak to that from some personal experience. Everyone's known that Tubin's a, a sleazeball for a long time. And everyone knows there's double standard. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, yeah, the guy is a mockery. He's a punchline. I, I also have a really hard time caring one way or the other about you know his future and profession and what he's doing, just because this is how it goes on the left. I mean, you basically can get away with misconduct. I mean, if you're friends with Jeff Zucker, you better commit a serious felony or else you're going to be able to continue to work there. So it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's not surprising. Look, that's right. That, that's a really good point. I was I was had, having some argument with a woman on Twitter the other day um, about I, I personally believe that there isn't a woman alive who could get a jo- her job back after doing this. Not that any one woman would. No woman would do this. No, I'm not saying women don't masturbate. I'm just saying no one has no woman has this kind of compunction that she couldn't keep it together for a work Zoom. But. I don't believe any woman would have been would have had her job saved after this. And uh, but but the thing is there and, and this there was a woman her name's Kathy Young uh, who was saying, oh, c- come on, there's not really a pattern of, you know, in 2021 men being able to keep their jobs after after, you know, hurting women or behaving this way publicly. I'm like, bullshit. Don Lemon, first of all, uh, was credibly accused of sexually assaulting a guy in a bar. There was an independent eyewitness. Jeff Zucker. No problem. Chris Cuomo doesn't even deny uh, c- advising his brother on how to conspire against all of his many, many accusers on sexual harassment. CNN, no problem. Now you've got Jeffrey Tubin who whips it out on a work Zoom call w- while over at the New Yorker, but he was a CNN contributor at the time, comes back having, having exposed and pleasured himself in front of these people. Welcome back. What what is it? What's going on at CNN? What's going on with Jeff Zucker that he doesn't have a problem with any of this? Well, I mean, my theory on all this, anytime situations like this emerge, Megan, is somebody's got major dirt somewhere and that's how they end up keeping their job, right? Your position is a good one. Imagine that this were Fox News right now, right? And all of those things that you just ran through were occurring with Fox News anchors as opposed to CNN anchors. It would be a front page New York Times story for multiple days. I looked because I was kind of curious. I'm still old school. Buck makes fun of me some about this. I still read the actual physical newspaper. This thing was like a couple of paragraphs on a sidebar in the New York Times. They barely covered it at all. And I was just thinking, you know, how much more of a story it would be if it was somebody who was a prominent Fox News contributor that had done the exact same thing. Oh, I mean, people over at Fox have gotten pushed out for sending you know, the so-called D-pics to, yeah. to people at work. Right. And I understand that. But believe me, this is more than a picture. This is a movie oh, picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually at work. Right. I mean, there's a difference right. like whether like you could be uh, on your phone doing stupid stuff outside of work. Right. You go to a bar. You think you have a relationship with somebody. Those are fraught, difficult angles to analyze from a labor and employment lawyer perspective. Getting caught masturbating while at a work event, typically not a difficult analysis for most labor and employment lawyers, which is why the New Yorker fired him immediately. Of course they had to. I'm sorry, but there's certain jobs you cannot hold after you've publicly humiliated yourself in that way. And his role happens to be one of them. 
Now, but Buck, you mentioned the hypocrisy of the of sort of the social justice warriors. So it turns out Hunter Biden is a racist and no one cares. Right. Hunter Biden, it's come out over the past few days, uses the N word all the time. And Joe Biden's out there saying that he's going to end the hate and discrimination against Asians. Meanwhile, it turns out Hunter Biden is talking about what kind of a woman he wants to have sex with and says, and I quote, no yellow. OK, so <laughs> a collective yawn by the media. Staff. No one cares. And I'm sorry to stay on the double standard. But can you imagine, Buck, if that had been Donald Trump Jr.? Right. Like they don't care because his last name is Biden. I think we have to think differently on the right a little bit about double standards. We still have to point them out. But the double standard is the point. They do this because they can. The hypocrisy isn't some ugly little thing that they want to hide, they basically look you in the eyes and say, that's right. We take care of our side. We bury that story. What are you going to do about it? I think this is a major mentality change that people on the right need to have. We point at them and say, look at this, if this were, and by the way, it's true. And I agree. And I'm not saying we shouldn't say it, but it also just goes to the power dynamic as it plays out in the media. That That's one point on this. And, and, and that they actually get some joy. I mean, there's some glee, I think the media takes in. Yeah, of course, we're of course, we're going to protect Joe Biden's son and not make a big deal of this because we can. And the other part of it is that I think Hunter Biden at some level, and this is a remarkable reality, is inoculated by his awfulness. I mean, he's so terrible that it, it's hard to even get. And when I say so terrible, such a mess, such a disaster in, in on so many levels. The guy got kicked out of the military for basically being a crackhead. He snorted Parmesan cheese off. The, I mean, you go down the list of things. It, it almost is. It's, it's like we become immune. We, we become a, it's hard to sensationalize him at this point or, or to get attention because everyone's just like, oh, he's such a, he's such a screw up that how can we really care? So I think those two things come together. And I was a big proponent of don't focus as much on Hunter Biden in the run up to the election, there are other reasons why the other things that Trump should have uh, the, the pro Trump media should have been looking at. But it, it's become a thing where we all point to we say, look at Hunter Biden. CNN doesn't care. Right. I mean, like MSNBC does. Like, they're not going to change their ways. So I just think there's there's a new context. We have to put this in. You know what, though? But I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I actually think those are two very good points, but it's still infuriating. I agreed with Clay's tweet the other day about The New York Times trying to ruin a 15 year old girl's life. She's a little older now, but she had said she had sung the N word in a song. She was quoting a song. She said, N word, I can drive right after she got her permit or something. I that, that think that was the basic story. It was a four second clip. She sent it to one person. She didn't post it publicly. That person, of course, showed it to somebody else who recorded it and then laid in wait for four years before the girl got a scholarship to be a cheerleader, I think, at University of Alabama. The New York Times does this story on this, winds up, I believe the woman, the girl was trying to sort of do a mea culpa, reset her life because her scholarship got pulled and she basically got forced out of the university. She has no college career, thanks to that stupid ass story. And the New York Times, instead of helping her by allowing her to sort of explain, you know, as a dumbass song, whatever. It is a song, though. They buried her and they celebrated her tormentor who had laid in wait and held the tape and waited until she got something good going in her life. And actually, the thing that pissed off her tormentor was the fact that she had tweeted something that was pro BLM. And he was like, oh, no. So he decided to ruin her life. That, Clay, 
they they thought was really worthy of the pages of the New York Times. But Hunter Biden, yawn. Yeah, the way that I though I went back and looked, Megan, because I, I'm big and, and I understand Buck's point. There is no doubt that there's a double standard. I'm big on just continuing to analyze what the double standard is. And I use three examples. OK, the one you're mentioning is a 15 year old high school girl in Luton County, Virginia. She got her driver's license and she was celebrating. She was happy. And she just used the N word with an ending of a as opposed to E.R., like a rapper would, right? Like I'm so excited. Yeah, but she's about quoting this. a song. There's a song, yeah, right. Apparently on on, that a, says on that. a Snapchat, by the way, on yeah. a Snapchat to one friend, as you pointed out. Uh, classmate holds that video for three years until she actually gets admitted to the University of Tennessee and makes the cheerleading squad. Megan and makes the cheerleading squad as soon as that video goes out. Uh, Tennessee basically pulls her admission. They kick her off of the cheerleading squad. She has to go to community college because no one will admit her to college. All right. Front page New York Times story. Same thing that Hunter Biden did. Two other examples, Megan. Morgan uh, Wallen, who a lot of people know, country music singer, does the same thing as Hunter Biden. Non, what, I, what I think is key here is it's a non-derogatory, non-intentionally racist use of the N-word, right? It's not like uh, it's being used as a racial slur intended, right? Uh, right. is on a video, trunk coming home from the bar. Uh, somebody gets that video off of like a porch camera somehow or other. And he basically gets canceled. All country music pulls his songs. He can't go out and perform. It's been basically a year for him now of enforced silence. Another one, Kyle Larson, who is a NASCAR driver, while playing a video game, again, iRacing, not in a negative manner, just uses the N-word like it would be used in rap songs all the time is kind of just a common use word, which again, not smart to do, but it's, I think the intent matters. Uh, he is banned from NASCAR racing for a year. New York Times does 14 stories on Morgan oh, Wallen, wow. eight stories, Megan, on Kyle Larson and their use of the N-word. We just mentioned the 15-year-old girl uh, who's on the front page of the New York Times. They have not done a single story about Hunter Biden's N-word usage. And by the way, I also did a database search on CNN and on the Washington Post. Similar numbers on the Kyle Larson and Morgan Wallen stories as the New York Times. Zero on Hunter Biden. All right. MSNBC, same story. Again, regardless of what you think of what is and is not a story, my perspective is, I think about this like a judge, like you do, Megan, when you're making an argument. If you're not going to call balls and strikes the same way, how can I possibly trust you? CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, and The Washington Post through Morgan Wallen uh, and Kyle Larson and this 15-year-old girl, now 18, 19-year-old girl, Mimi Groves, cheerleader, under the bus for the exact same thing Hunter Biden did. They don't cover him at all. And if you are analyzing newsworthiness, what is more newsworthy, the president's son in a time of supposed systemic racism and racial healing being uh, racially insensitive or these three people, which really in the grand scheme of things don't matter in the political universe. If you were ranking the newsworthiness of them, I think Hunter Biden would be far in excess of the other three people. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet they're making the choice not to cover him while they're covering far less significant uh, individuals far more severely. To your point, Buck, I think I think the New York Times would tell you Donald Trump Jr. is 
a far worse person than Hunter Biden. That's what they think. And yet they covered his every move like it was apocalyptic. I don't think they'd be saying, ah, he's just so bad. We're not going to cover it. He's done so many bad things. We're not going to talk about him using the N word over and over and over or referring to Asian people as yellow, no yellow in terms of his sexual preferences. You know, they, they're they're pretty quick to overlook the Tubans and the Bi- Hunter Bidens of the world. And of, of course, sling their arrows against anybody who's considered more of the right whenever they can. Up next, Victoria's Secret somehow thinks it'll be more empowering if they get rid of the angels and use Megan Rapino. Is that true? That's next. Since I have the two of you, I've got the dream team here. I've got to ask you about the most important news of the day. I don't know why I'm dying to discuss this with you, but I am. Victoria's Secret is rebranding. People don't understand what it is to be an empowered woman. They don't understand it. Even these so-called feminists don't understand it. And let me start with this story because this is up your alley too, Clay. You know the Naomi Osaka story. At Disney, um, this somebody, my kids like tennis. So they were talking about, uh, I guess, the French Open. And um, somebody mentioned Naomi Osaka. And and my daughter said, oh, well, they talked about her at school. And of course, I was like, oh, God, what'd they say? Because I, I, you know that at this girl's school, which is very far left, and we just pulled her from it, is going to be celebrating Naomi Osaka's bailing on you know the French Open as a moment of empowerment, which, of course, was, was the messaging. And I pulled her aside. I'm like, honey, I got to tell you, I see it a different way. I'm like, I think we're in a place right now where, where anybody, but especially women, who start to feel uncomfortable about something or have a weakness that they'd like to shore up uh, are being encouraged to lean into their weakness. That instead of meeting the challenge and saying, I feel uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to prove to myself I can do it. I'm going to, I'm going to master it. They're, they're celebrating people running from those challenges and saying, never mind, I'm going to cower. Never mind, I don't want to do it because any discomfort is unacceptable. I'm not okay with that. I said, let me tell you about what I think an empowered woman looks like. And then we started talking about the CIA analyst um, who found bin Laden because I had just interviewed Rob O'Neill. We were talking about her and how what a badass she is. Okay, so that's that's a bridge of saying that's what I think is empowering. A, A badass woman who's actually changed the world unapologetically. She seeks no um accolades for it. She hasn't come out publicly. She's amazing. Fuck, you worked at the CIA. I mean, this is like this woman's a national heroine, not Naomi Osaka. No, she leaned into her weaknesses. I see it. So Victoria's Secret folds into this because they believe they've been disempowering women because they sell sexy lingerie, because they have the angels doing the whatever they do down the runway every year. And men and women seem to like it. Now, instead, they're going to use Megan Rapino, Megan Rapino, <laughs> and they've got a trans model. They've got a biracial model who's an inclusivity advocate, size 14, right? They're going totally a different way. Um, this from a company whose founder has been seriously linked to Jeffrey Epstein. So my head's going to explode because none of this empowers anybody. And we're not at a point yet, you tell me, where if you want to wear sexy lingerie and flaunt your tone abs, um, that's somehow not empowering to women. I think that's very empowering. If you got them, show them. Great. What do you guys think, Buck? I think that it's just doomed to fail as so many of the other uh, times when they go against, um, you know, they go against what, what the market really shows on this stuff and, and what people like, wh- why is Victoria's Secret so successful? I and mean, what is it really selling? I mean, you know, it's kind of from what I understand. I mean, my girlfriend, and I actually talked about this recently. She's like, look, it's just a lot of the clothing is it's cheaply made. It's not very good. It's not a very good product. So what is the marketing? The marketing is that it's sexy. And what is sexy built on? 
generally speaking, when we're talking about, you know, in, in a heterosexual context and what most of the you know majority of the market is, it's men being attracted to women. And there's a certain impulse and there's certain things that come along with that. You know, they can try this like bigger is beautiful thing and they can try this to sell to those uh, to those groups individually. I understand that. But the brand was built upon fantasy and desirability of women. Right. That's what Victoria's Secret is all about. And, and the male view of all those things. So they can try to change this. They can try to make a, a major shift in people's thinking about it. But I think ultimately it has to be uh, it, it will be doomed to fail other than we are talking about it now. Right. In, in a sense, they get a big publicity push here that if nothing else creates more focus on the brand so that I think when they go back, I'll make a prediction right now. They're going to have, you know, Adriana Lima or whoever in campaigns for Victoria's Secret within six months or 12 months or whatever. But they're going to go back to what works. Because you know this is true all across the fashion industry. I mean, when you're trying to sell stuff, if I open a Brooks Brothers catalog, am I seeing like really you know schlumpy, out of shape, 65 year old guys? I mean, e even the 50, you know, the 65 and 55 year old dudes you see in these catalogs, they've all got washboard abs and like these square jaws. Like this is how you sell things. You're selling a perception and a dream. Look, it, it makes the corporate board feel good about themselves when they do this stuff. It gets them some attention. Whether this will actually help the brand? No, no way. I could speak to this, Megan. I watched the Victoria's Secret. You know, they like to do a Christmas fashion special a couple of years ago. Uh, and look, whenever I'm flipping around, I'm not going to turn that thing off. Uh, Innocently I like looking. went yeah. by it. So for some reason, the remote paused. In, in case, in case people are wondering, I like attractive women wearing limited amounts of clothes. I watched their advertisement. You know, the Victoria's Secret Christmas fashion show. Uh, and I immediately, this was pre COVID, obviously when everything was still open, I think this was a couple of years ago, I immediately went out and bought like $200 in lingerie for my wife and just brought it back. She was like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know what? You're going to look amazing <laughs> in this. And, and it's, what's funny about this. And I, and I do think from a marketing perspective, it's interesting. My wife's perspective on lingerie is you're just going to take it off. I'm not that interested in putting it on for that, like getting, <laughs> getting pressed up. Right. Which I think is a funny line from her. I, I'm also confused because. I don't understand the comfy bras and nightgowns and, you know, flannel. They've been available. I, we, it's not like we have to have those from Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret is trying to paint a different brand. They're more like agent provocateur, although a lot cheaper and not not as sort of saucy. They just chose a different lane, right? Like they're there. I, I as I see it, the smart man. This is, Here's a tip for you guys. The smart man buys his wife the comfy stuff, the flannel, you know, pajama bottoms and the cute top, something she actually wants to sleep in. And the, and the smart woman buys herself the lingerie. So it's like a gift both ways, right? Like I put on the, it's true. I put on the lingerie, not for me, but for, for Doug, right? But like he's sort of, you know, if he wanted to make a gesture that would make me happy, right? The lingerie is what makes you happy. But the, the, the comfy stuff is what makes us happy. Anyway, yes. there's a room for all of it, but somehow feminism now is being it's like how they got rid of the bikini the bathing suit contest in the miss america uh pageant which uh, and people say even the pageant is sexist all right i i still think there's a place if women want to work out and play the violin and walk up and down the, the the stage fine you do you sister i think it's awesome i i don't know why we have to be so holier than thou about everything right like only megan rapino she doesn't represent me she hates america and has purple hair one thing I'd say, you know, we talk about cultural Marxism on the right, and people are now looking at critical race theory as as essentially a, a racial Marxist construct, right? And critical race theory 
Uh, Megan, you know all about this. I know you do, do play. You guys actually have kids. It's being taught in schools everywhere. Well, what is really the essence of these beliefs? I mean, it's not actually Marxist, right? It's not Marxist doctrine, but it takes the idea that any inequality in society of any kind is a cause for concern, for agitation, and for transfer of power. That's what it's really all about. Now, in the classical Marxist context, it's obviously between the proletariat and bourgeoisie, just class warfare, effectively. Now we see this in the context of uh, racial differences and, and, and strife that's being played upon by activists and, and BLM and all the rest of it. And they say there's inequality and that they'll pick different you know, ethnic categorizations and say, because this is the case and there is an unequal, this is why they talk about equity, an unequal situation, it must be addressed with force. And, and, and I'm just, I'm pointing this out because once you believe in a kind of radical equality for everything always, then you believe that men and women should play on the same sports team and use the same bathrooms. Then you believe that even elevating people because they happen to be uh, particularly beautiful or particularly intelligent or whatever it may be, that's uh, something that has to be remedied instead of, instead of celebrated. And this is, unfortunately, what you see is there's a lot of a politics of envy that are very, very powerful. When you tell people mm. who feel like they're not getting, you know, they're not validated in the way they may be, well, there's something wrong with this systemically, whatever it's about class or, or race or, or gender or beauty or whatever it is, there's always this impulse to set that right and to make everybody, everyone has to be on the same plane and you pull people down. Now, this is dizzying and it's contradictory and it makes no sense. But when you understand that basic impulse, you see how it plays out all throughout society, certainly in the gender context, but also now, I mean, you know, they got rid of the bikini thing in Miss America. It's a beauty contest, folks. Like you start to look at this and say, oh, you know, don't have a beauty contest then, but don't call a beauty contest something that it's not. Uh, exactly. I love what you said, the politics of envy. That's exactly right. It's like, why can't we focus on being more inclusive? Um, that's fine. I mean, I think I think it's awesome. I don't know whether Victoria's Secret sold bras in the size 14. And if they didn't, then screw them. They ought to. Um, right. Every every size can be sexy and every woman should be entitled to sort of bring it in and, you know, do what she wants to do. But like the rejection of a sexy line of clothing in favor of whatever they're about to do, it seems unnecessary. That's not feminist. That's not empowering. But you're right. The politics of envy, it, it, it lines up perfectly with this perfect, this, this perfect equality utopia that we will never achieve, um, but that they, we hear the left lecture us on out of respect. We need to respect one another. Back to my trip to Disney. This brings up something that I wanted to ask you guys about, which was me on the plane. I went to Disney. Uh, Florida's amazing. Nobody wears the masks. I go to Disney. Uh, day two and day one and two, I had to wear the mask. And then by day three, it just happened to be the day that Disney dropped the mask mandate. So we were running around Disney without masks. It was wonderful. Then I get on the plane, Delta, to fly home. And we got to wear the masks everywhere in the airport. We got to wear the masks on the airplane. And not only that, but you know how you get some people who are more like strict about enforcing the mask over the nose than others? I mean, the flight attendant was like, over the nose, over the nose. You know, even my kids, it was like, oh, good God. And it was because why? Because Pete Buttigieg came out, or he's now... <laughs> I, I mean, like he's running transportation for the Biden administration. That makes a lot of sense because uh, he was mayor of Indiana um, or Indianapolis, wherever he was. South Bend, not even a big city in South Indiana. South Bend. And not a well-managed one of that, by the way. <laughs> I can't, can't keep up and I don't actually really care. Um, but it's showing. 
And he comes out and says, the reason we have to wear them still uh, in the airports and the, and, the, and the planes is because, quote, the workers there, the, the flight attendants, don't have a choice. And, quote, it's a matter of respect. And now, thanks to him, the mask mandate says, you have to wear your mask in between bites and sips of your food. And your... <sighs> We've lost our minds. Nothing makes my head explode more than the mask religion. But I, I don't want to. I, I Clay and I have been on this since the very beginning. Oh, I mean, I'm so thankful that I live in Tennessee, where basically masks have been, you know, other than the cosmetic theater of having the, the most absurd of all of the mask requirements to me. And we still had to do this little kabuki theater in New York last week when Buck and I were out to dinner uh, in, uh, in, in Manhattan. Like, you have to put on a mask to walk into a restaurant to sit at your table soon as you sit down at the table you can take it off like that is of all the rules that have existed it is like the dumbest rule that has ever existed right? i was like oh well thank god i protected everyone for my 10 foot walk to my table the minute that i sit down like this is not real like this is so stupid and the same thing is true to your point megan like the two states that i've spent the most time in for the last year are tennessee and florida and so the idea that you have to wear in tennessee there are no masks anywhere. And then you go into the Nashville airport where, where I live and you have to put your mask on and you get lectured if you pull it down. And you have to keep it on. And if you're eating peanuts and having a drink of water, you have to put your mask back up in between your bites. I mean, that's so stupid. This is not how sane people make decisions, right? The thing about the mask up and down in between the bites and the sips, like I got a glass of red wine. I just kept it. I just held it nearby. I, I'm sipping. I'm about to do it. And then I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm like, well, what if I just don't listen? Then I'm going to be one of those people who winds up in a viral They're going to arrest you when, you when you <laughs> land and you won't be able to, able to fly whatever airline that is again. So I've been saying, Megan, for, for nine months now, maybe, that it's a mass anxiety disorder. Um, and I will say, Clay and I were talking about mass. Clay, when were you on my radio show? I, I, think, I think we were both like, what's with the mask thing? Maybe in April of 2020? Um, so some of us, as soon as it started, I was like, this is nonsensical. It's, I mean, and look, I, I, to, to Megan's point, like I didn't ever want to be the guy who got arrested because, you know, I threw a fit because I, I didn't want to put a mask on to go into Costco or, or whatever. Right. Like I would do it. I would put it in my pocket. I would put it on if I had to go into a store or whatever. I'd drive around like a lot of people, I imagine, with a mask on my, you know, in my the dashboard so I could grab it, and put it on if I needed to. It never made any sense, and it was totally illogical. And Buck and I have been saying this from the get-go, uh, long before it was even acceptable, almost to be saying. This was the most damaging thing I think early on for Fauci's credibility. I mean, I've been I've been like the anti-Fauci for over a year now, and everyone who knows me or listens to my show, even when people were like, "Give him a chance, it's tough." He's, I'm like, "No, you can't trust this guy." Uh, I know this mentality. I worked in the federal government. Uh, anybody who has the job that he's had as long as he's had it is the ultimate product of the system and is a bureaucrat in a lab code. And that's what you got with Fauci. There's no way, Megan, that you would have a, a, a guy basically mock the idea. And he did this on national TV is, you know, of mask wearing. And then a month later, it's this is the most important thing we can do to control the pandemic. If you look at the predictions that they were making about how effective masks would be, and anyone with you know a search engine can do this, in June of 2020, in July of 2020, 70% reduction in cases, you know, 80% reduction in cases and deaths. It was completely out of control. So much so that I knew that when we went through the winter wave, 
there was going to be a whole change in the narrative. So I actually, and people can check this, I have tweets months before Fauci declared double masking. If you were serious about the virus, you had a double mask. I was tweeting out, just give it time. They're going to say you have to wear two masks. I remember that. Yeah, you're going to, they're going to say you have to wear N95 masks, which by the way, if you actually look at CDC studies, N95 masks perfectly worn. Like I'm not an anti-science lunatic. I actually read this stuff. N95 masks perfectly worn in a clinical setting probably do considerably reduce respiratory droplets and spread of a virus. A bandana loosely draped around your face in between sips of Chardonnay is completely and utterly absurd. And anyone kind of knows it, but we've been running a Milgram experiment here. I mean, we've been, we basically had Fauci in a lab coat telling us, electrocute these people and it'll protect you from COVID. And they do it, except instead of electrocuting people, Megan, they're lecturing you on how you have to mask up your eight-year-old or your 10-year-old or whatever. Yep. And he, he doesn't acknowledge really, you know, it's like he's, he's starting to pay some lip service to the lab leak. I, I don't I don't even know if we call it a theory anymore. It's definitely the most likely way we got this virus in the world. But he doesn't acknowledge that, you know, what the, the failings of the scientific community and allowing any discussion of that. And the thing that made all the news late last week was Jon Stewart going on Colbert. Now, listen, I know people are praising Jon Stewart, and I'm glad he did his little bit with Colbert, who looked like an idiot, just trying to deny it and, you know, sort of reassure his audience. No, wait, wait, wait. I'm with you. I don't know what John's saying. I don't give him that much credit. John Stewart, I believe, has been a force for evil in this country. He yes. he's never seen a Republican he likes. This guy is a dishonest broker. Every once in a while, he stumbles upon an acorn, right, and and says something that's fair to the other side. He hates everyone on the right half of this country. I mean, I've I've been delighted he's been off the air personally, and trust me, because I have been the victim of his dishonesty many times, and I can't stand him. Uh, so yeah, I, I appreciate him going on Colbert's show and saying it's obviously a lab leak is basically what he said. But even the the press turned on him. Washington Post, Paul Waldman, who's a moron. This guy worked for Media Matters for five years, and now he's this major columnist at the Washington Post. He said that Stewart's rant, his rant, was a reminder. Don't rely on celebrities for information on COVID-19. Tell it to your own side, Paul, right? You guys are the ones who are putting out these PSAs on vaccines, starring Hollywood celebrities and doing all these primetime specials with celebrities telling us that we need to get the vaccine and so on. He goes on and said, they're, they're not experts. And the reason we listen to experts is that they know more than we do. Really? Like Dr. Fauci? Right. Like, how about how about this, Paul? How about the former director of the CDC, uh, Redfield? who came out and criticized the scientific community for shutting down the lab leak theory, something the Washington Post ignored. Should we listen to that expert? How about or should it just be somebody from Media Matters who wants to reject the science when it's staring us in, in our faces? I think the thing that stands out to me twofold here. One, Jon Stewart's uh, take was interesting. The laughter was the most interesting to me because that huge Stephen Colbert audience it was as if they were having to recognize the absurdity of the arguments that they've been making against the lab mm -hmm. leak theory. And they're basically laughing at themselves because I will say about Jon Stewart, if he had said that a year ago, they would have labeled him all right. They would have labeled yeah. him. Uh, they, they wouldn't have aired it on CBS. Facebook wouldn't that have allowed that clip courage. to be distributed. That would have taken exactly real courage. To me, what Jon Stewart represents is now it's safe 
to kind of stick your head out and make this joke a year ago, even though the data hasn't changed, you wouldn't have been able to. Uh, the second part of, uh, of what you're talking about that I, that I think is very significant here is we're in such a polarized universe. I wish we could go back in time when Dr. Fauci, as, uh, as, uh, as Buck is talking about, came out and said, masks don't work, basically. There's no reason you should be wearing them. The Surgeon General said all that. What if Trump had been a huge mask guy? At that point in time. Now, it would have gone against everything Trump represents. But what if he had been like, I know the experts are saying no on masks, but I just think masks make a ton of sense. And I'm going to encourage everyone to wear them. Would the left wing in this country have ever embraced the mask if Trump had rejected Fauci back in March and his own surgeon general and said Mm. mask to me makes sense? I would love to see the way that that would have exploded on the world if Trump had been a huge mask guy, right? Just because would they then have ever become the symbol of the resistance or the symbol of science like they have? Because Trump was right about schools needing to reopen, right? But as soon as he said schools need to reopen and we can do it safely, which all the data has supported he was right on, all the teachers unions and everybody on the left wing was like, well, there's no way we could come back, even though the uh, pediatricians all came out and said back in June of last year, it's like nobody wants to remember it. Science actually said kids need to be in school. Trump was on the side of science there, and the story just disappeared. I love the hypocrisy of don't listen to celebrity. They're not experts. Why don't you tell it to Stephen Colbert, who you lionize, to Jimmy Kimmel, to Sarah Silverman, to Jane Fonda. The left loves to lionize these celebrities, not normal left people, but the capital L left. Um, And now when one goes off the rails and says something true about the lab leak theory, it's we don't listen to celebrities. We listen to scientists. But again, even Redfield is out there saying, yeah, Fauci seems to be a little enamored with his old hypothesis. I think that the soundbite was he's holding on to his old hypothesis tightly, Um, meaning he doesn't want to accept the lab leak theory. But it's just to me, it's it's funny, but it's also just stomach turning to see. And by the way, I do want to say John Stewart's done good things for the vets um, that I appreciate. But I just net net his career. The guy's a jerk. And uh, and, and they get away with it. Right. Because like Fauci, he can give a little lip service to like, lab theory. I've never shot anything down. And the left's like, yeah, us either. You know, no, we get it. We're we're open minded. Problem that they have with what he said isn't really about the status of the facts right now, because anybody who reads the news at all, I mean, even a passing familiarity knows that the preponderance of the evidence right now is clearly in favor of a lab leak theory. I mean, anyone who actually. So so then why was why would that uh, that schmuck from Media Matters or now at the Washington Post you brought up, why would he feel the need to immediately uh, jump in and be like, well, don't listen to Jon Stewart? It was because Jon Stewart was mocking this idea. And there's a real sensitivity on the left and among Democrats to well, mockery in general. I mean, I, I would argue they've largely destroyed comedy. I mean, they've made it so that you really can't make jokes. Only they can ridicule the other side. They're hypersensitive about these things because they became so emotionally and personally invested in their COVID approach. I mean, I live in a building in New York, Megan, where there were people. And I mean, I still I wish I would sort of taken photos, but I didn't want to be accused of of COVID shaming or anything. There were people who were wearing hazmat suits like head to toe plastic with the face mask in my building to go outside for the first six months of the pandemic. Probably also, Buck, people who were young doing that. 
right? Like oh, who had well, they were zero in their 30s. statistical risk. They were, they were in their 30s. I mean, I know who they are. Zero <laughs> so, risk. So yeah. Oh almost, almost, I mean, like the chance of them, legitimately, the chance of them dying from this is substantially less than every time they're, they're like getting into a car. So, you know, you see this though, that there's the left wants to, there are two big concerns that I have here. And, I, and I'm somebody who, if anything, I've been yelled at by people on my own side for talking about masks and lockdowns too much. Any traces of Fauciism, kind of like a virus that hasn't really exited your system, might <laughs> be able to make a comeback. I think it actually will make a comeback. I think they're getting ready to use the same mass mobilization against the virus for other social issues. We've people have talked about uh-huh. this a little bit, whether it's climate change as the as the emergency or gun violence or whatever. They like this mass mobilization and ability to tell people when they can leave their homes. I mean, that they have to wear a stifling piece of cloth over their face all the time, and which, as we all know, got, got really absurd. But they, they don't like the mockery component of this because so much of what they did was really stupid. And they were yelling the science the whole time to the point where now when you yell the science, it's like a joke, right? Everyone understands that. And, and I just want to throw into all this too, the blue check medical community has ruined the public's perception of medical expertise for a long time to come. And the real moment of transition in this perception was when, and I still, I, I screenshotted some of these tweets. I'm Clay, I'm sure you remember this one too. When the original BLM riots start, still early yep. in the pandemic, and they're saying, you can't protest lockdowns, but people protesting against police violence, they're saving lives. We're okay with that. Big groups, go for it. Spit on each other, scream in public, whatever you got to do. I loved that because it just illuminated the hypocrisy to such a large extent as if the virus makes a decision whether to spread or not based on the intent of the people who are gathering in groups, right? So I used used to go on my radio show. Yeah, I would go on my radio show and say, hey, why can't we have full football stadiums then and just say, instead of, uh, you know, instead of going to a football game, just attending a protest against the visiting team, oh, right? We're all there to root against them, right? Oh, I, I, I go like I go out on the street without my mask on. People would look at me. I'd be like, BLM. Up next, Abigail Schreier. You know her. Uh, she has written a, an in-depth piece called "When the State Comes for Your Kids," and it is downright chilling about what's happening to parents now who seek help from the medical community when it comes to a transgender child. You need to hear this. Uh, I'm going to run it by the guys and we're going to go from there. And also we're going to talk about their new adventure uh, right after this. Abigail Schreier has a great and disturbing piece out. And, um, you know, she wrote Irreversible Damage and has been jumping up and down about the transgender craze that's been happening in some pockets, not to diminish it as an actual thing for some people, but it's become a craze for others. And she her article is pointing about, out about how now more and more in the medical community, these therapists will call social services on a parent who refuses to affirm the child's new stated gender. So. In one case, there was a mother who was complaining to her own therapist. Oh, my God, my kid. You know, they're saying that they're trans. I don't believe it. And that therapist called the authorities on her for alleged That's abuse. Unbelievable! It's insane. But to your point of the medical community is self-destructing. They're doing this to themselves. My wife gets so fired up about this. You remember when Mario Lopez came out and said, hey, you know, and he had to apologize, uh, but he yep. was like, hey, you know, I don't think six-year-olds should really be picking their gender. 
And yep. my my and, and then he had to apologize, and my wife lost her mind over that. She's like, we don't let our six year old choose what to eat, right? He would eat ice cream for every meal. He would never exactly. he would eat candy for every like. And yet we're going to let our six-year-old tell us what gender he or she is. And we're going to adjust the entire way that we, uh, that we raise them. Like, yeah. Hey, when you become an adult, if it makes you happy, right. To quote Cheryl Crow a little bit, Cheryl and Crow. you're a consenting adult, go ahead and do it. Right. You can't be that wrong. I don't think, I think most people are of that opinion. The idea that a six-year-old or a kindergartner is going to be picking their gender and that if you disagree with that as a parent, that you're going to be reported to child services. I mean, this is yeah. madness. Somebody was saying at the time on my show, they said something like, um, how about we wait until they they stop needing the choo-choo train sound to get the spoon in their mouth before yes, no letting them make decisions? Like that. There's a peer-reviewed study, I think it was at a Brown University, that looked at the contagion effect. I don't know if you guys remember this. The contagion effect of transgenderism among children under the age of, I think it was 12, it might've been 14. And guess what? It turns out when one person in a community, one person in a school comes out at eight or nine and as transgender, the effect is there's like a thousands of a percentage uh, chance more that other kids in the class will suddenly decide that they too are transgender. And this created some problems for the movements, so to speak, because you're supposed to believe this is an innate, deeply held characteristic. What do we do? Because it's non-physical, as we know. I keep people. I love when people write to me. They go, "You don't understand anything." And they'll talk about what used to be called. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to use the the H word anymore. Inter intersex, I believe, is the the term. It used to be called something else, where you have some of the parts of both. That's actually not what transgenderism is. It's entirely a psychological condition. So, or psychological affirmation, we're supposed to say now. So they went after they, what they found is that kids are far more likely to decide they're transgender when another kid nearby that they know is transgender. They pulled that study off the internet entirely, erased it. It's like it never existed, not allowed to look at the data and the numbers, not even allowed to compile them. And I think this just goes to how there's a recognition that unless we can get people to believe that eight-year-olds are already transgender, they're afraid that there'll be a consideration of this as just essentially an adult lifestyle choice thing instead of something that should be treated as an immutable characteristic as a matter of law and then, of course, celebrated, which I mean, now I, I just uh, had uh, breakfast recently with alumni, well, a father and a son from my old high school, uh, and, and they were telling me about the kind of indoctrination stuff that goes on there. It's not about tolerance. They use the T word tolerance a lot when I was in the school. Now it's celebration. It's about pushing. It's not even celebration. It's about pushing. At our old school, from which we pulled our boys, it was, according to our son, it was every other week they're asking them, do you think you're a boy? Do you guys still think you're boys? Are you like just introducing it like it's something they need to consider? Why don't you shut up and let him learn math? You don't have to talk to him like what what's next? Right. Like it's not for you to start putting that into his head. You teach non-bullying and love and support and non-judgment of others. Great. I'm with you. Stop introducing it to him like it's a change he can select if he wants, especially since most of the experts are saying that if your kid is transgender nine times out of 10, they know when they're two. Right. And, and I know transgender people. I've said this before. We got them in my family that they, they knew from the earliest age they can remember. They've they've lived a tortured life. Most of them who are our age now grew up in a time when this was not OK. So they had to keep it a secret. And they, they have 
they remember being three and trying to, you know, wear only the other side's clothes and so on and so forth, and then realizing how unacceptable this was. You don't stumble upon it at age 16. What, we, what we're seeing, thanks to people like Deborah So and Abigail Schreier, is that social awkwardness, looking for a target, right? Look, looking for some out that's better than I'm awkward, or in some cases, even I'm on the spectrum. Uh, something that's been sort of judged to be worse, I guess, than than being trans. So you can upgrade to having this sort of sexy, popular thing in some of these cases. I'm not saying in all these cases, but in, in a lot of these cases, the, the bottom line is we need to figure it out. We, we need to be have honest therapists and medical community assistants who will help us and our kids work through it. God forbid it happens because I don't want this to happen to my kid because it's not an easy lifestyle. Um, I would support and love, but I don't I'm not I don't wish for it. The study, by the way, was on it was on what's called rapid onset gender dysphoria among children, as in one 10 year old says, I think I'm a girl. And then there is an enormously increased chance that a week later, after all the adults make a big deal of it and, you know, the whole thing, another 10 year old says, I think I'm a girl. They had to pull it. And it's I just checked to make if they pulled it off a of Brown uh, University website and then they put it back up with corrections. Yeah, Lisa Lippman was the was the Brown um, doctor who put that together, and and then she was refor- she was forced to resubmit it after an additional peer review, where she she did not wind up changing her conclusions. She just came under a, a lot of fire uh, for having made them, and there's only been more evidence to support it since then. And you don't you know you can look around, you can see for yourself. You know, it's like at, in our school, from which our girl our daughter just left a, a few years ago in the tenth grade, there was like an outbreak of trance. It would like what happened to one girl and having another girl, having another girl. And Abigail Schreier's got some good chapters in her book talking about what you should do if that happens. And it's it's complex because basically it's try to get your child away from that. Right. Like rescue her from this being surrounded by this sort of trans ideology with she thinks this is an option available to her to solve her problems. You know, it's hard. I think the challenge in general has to go with just the idea that there are acceptable opinions and unacceptable opinions to have as we debate really difficult choices in society. And when we circumscribe, and I'm not talking about just transgender issues or anything else, I'm talking about uh, the way that we respond to COVID, right? If you circumscribe immediately what the acceptable range of opinions is to have, you end up not allowing the full fruition of the debate to occur and it drives so much of it underground that there mm-hmm. is no ability. Does it make sense? Like when, when yeah. if you were going to debate whether or not masks make sense or whether or not lockdowns make sense or whether or not shutting down schools make sense on the left wing in our country right now, there is a very circumscribed level of debate that you are allowed to have. And that isn't what science represents. Science, much like our national debate, should be robust uninhibited and at times provocative because that's how we lead to results that make sense. That's how we reach hypotheses and theories. Science should be messy and trying to clean it up in the same way. It seems like we're trying to clean up our debates in general is not overall in a helpful direction that the country is moving. And that's one of the reasons I think Buck and I are so excited about Megan having the audience that we're going to have in the Rush Limbaugh time slot to be able to talk, I think, in an intelligent way in a sort of like oasis in the, uh, in the desert for many people who, uh, who are a variety of different persuasions, 
you just feel like there's a tremendous amount of dishonesty in the country today. Yep. Uh, I want to talk to you about that. Can you help me understand? I love the I love the partnership. I think this is so fun because you're two of my favorite people. But I don't understand because I, I let me start with this. I've seen a number of people be like, and I'm the new Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> like I I am the one who's in Rush Limbaugh's spot. And then, no, I am. And I'm like, I don't this seems like the, the closest thing to actual that we've seen. Like you guys have, I think, most of his markets. But can you help me understand what is the partnership and how how big is it? Because it feels like a big one. I don't like the R word. There's no replacing Rush Limbaugh. No one thinks they're actually replacing Rush Limbaugh. Because you can't, right? I mean, this is, no, no. you know, when you have a figure like, who replaced Winston Churchill? Like, ask somebody that as the, you know, the prime minister of the UK. Some people might say Anthony Eden, but very few people are actually going to know, you know, who, who, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you don't yeah. replace just because you come after. We are following Rush into this slot. There are other hosts who are, by the way, friends of mine and great people. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Dan Bongino fan. I work closely with and I've known Dana for many years. You know, there are other hosts and God bless them. And I, I they're going to look, I know they're going to do good shows and they're good people. We are the premier radio, uh, which is what was Rush's syndicator. We're the premier radio offering now going forward in this time slot. And yes, we'll be Rush had. And, you know, the numbers change so much on these things because there are so many radio stations. Rush had, let's say, over 550 stations, I think, close to 600. Of the stations Rush was on, we'll be on close to 400 of them. So, yes, we're basically on, you know, four-sixths of the Rush stations, I'd say. Um, I guess also known as two, also known as two-thirds. It's been a while since I've done math. So (laughs) that's why this is, uh, that's why this is, I think, a little bit confusing for folks, but like I said, I mean, the great thing about Rush is I think of him as like a special forces guy in the media and radio world. He's like a titan that gave a lot of us. He created this industry and created the space for Clay and me and, and the other hosts who are going to be doing shows at noon. To, to We need more conservative media. I hate infighting among conservatives over our tiny little slice of the pie. And I mean, Megan, like I always appreciate that when I first poked my head out from the CIA, you know, you were the first person who ever put me in prime time at Fox. Not only did you put me in prime time, you would put me sometimes during terrorism stories in your A block. And I always appreciate that. You know why? I knew more about terrorism than 95% exactly. of the people that were going on TV as experts to talk about it. And you recognize that because I had just come out of that world like months before I was on air with you. Uh, I, fi- I finally gotten old enough, um, Buck, that I, c- I can claim credit for some people. Like I... I- I put on Ben Shapiro a lot when people weren't using him. I put on uh, Ben Dominic a lot. Put on you. I'm noticing a pattern. Megan liked really, really smart guys. Well, that's exactly right. And gals too. Crystal Ball was another person whose career I I, I helped build. I love Crystal Ball. She, if you want a really smart leftist, she's top of the list. You know, but that's the thing. If you look for smart people, it's not that hard. Just just open your open your mind listen to what you're hearing and you can find the honest brokers. And then you can find the one who are just bomb, bomb throwers. And that's never really been that appealing to me. The, just the, if you, if you're both bomb throwy and smart, I'll take you. But if you're just a bomb thrower, it's not my thing. Uh, and you've always been so smart and clay I've only stumbled onto in the last two years, but I am a huge clay Travis fan. Huge. I think I love the way your mind works on so many levels, clay. And I'm just like thrilled that I am not alone and that you're getting a bigger platform and that more people are going to be exposed to your ideas. So can you explain to me, because I saw something from you, Clay, saying that you guys have been doing like test shows and you've been, so how long has it been in the works? 
Yeah, so I'm super excited about this. I mean, we have been, Buck and I have, and he may know dates better than me, but we we were very excited that the news broke through the way that we wanted the news to break because for several weeks in advance of the news coming out, and I think it came out mid-May was the official, uh, maybe early May uh, was when the news officially came out. Um, and we started doing sort of, I wouldn't say full shows, but sort of mock-ups of what the show would sound like uh, privately for an audience of just a few of the premier executives uh, that were putting us together. And I, I, with the first show that we did, I was like, yeah, we're ready to go. And so there's been so much prep, and you can imagine behind-the-scenes work and everything else. I'm just ready to sit down in front of the mic and start talking. And mm-hmm. I think that what we will have, uh, some people hearing this on Monday, uh, will hear us later this week because we'll be officially underway. I think what we're going to have is the smartest show in radio. And uh, that doesn't mean you're always going to agree with us. That doesn't mean that you're not sometimes going to hear our opinions and be like, oh, these guys are idiots. These guys are imbeciles. I disagree with them completely. I think what we're going to have is a real interesting discussion about the major issues that are confronting this country every day. And they can be in the world of politics, current events, Sometimes sports all overlap, pop culture, because everything is political in some way right now. And what I found, Megan, with my show, I, I did sports talk radio for six years. And I just I couldn't pass up the opportunity when Julie Talbot, who does an incredible job running everything at Premier, came to us and said, hey, we want you guys to, do, to, to take over the time slot of Rush that Premier has been distributed for so long. And. We, you know, we did sports on my radio show without sports for months. And Megan, our audience skyrocketed. And it was because we were talking about how to get mm-hmm. back, to analyzing COVID and everything else. I just feel like there is a desperate demand. And I, and, I, and I talk about this with Buck, and I'll say it a lot on our radio show too. I don't even focus so much on Democrat, Republican anymore, or independent, whatever people's politics are. There's sane and there's insane. And I'm not sure that there's ever been a time when there has been more insane beliefs. We're talking about the mask. I mean, that in many ways, mask policy is all insane. Defunding the police is legitimately insane. Uh, mm-hmm. Much of the bona fides of the far left wing in this country right now are legitimately insane. And I think we need to be punching back. Big finish next. Don't go away. On television, all there really is is Fox. I mean, not, you, you got other sort of smaller players, but really that's all there is. And so, like, it, if you want something else, you know, some other voice, you should have more than one option. That's one of the reasons why I think radio, podcasting, um, the, the digital media world has exploded with more right-leaning commentators because people are desperate for it. And while they may be locked out from getting it on linear television or cable television for the most part, um, they're not locked out of this world. And and there's a huge, huge audience. My, my husband's an author. He was just telling me that there's another, there's going to be another conservative publishing house coming out. And they came out yeah. with Regnery right now. And there's another one coming out and saying, we're going to do it too. Good for them. There's a market. Half the country wants that. So I'm sure it's going to be a huge success. I think it's even more than half the country, Megan. And what I would say is one of the things that's so attractive about radio is in this big tech universe where they can decide, hey, we're going to throttle down your tweets. We're not going to allow your videos to be shared on Facebook. We're not going to allow your articles. I see this all the time happen at OutKick. To know that you're able to directly talk to the public through the radio, arguably in our Mm -hmm. big tech era, in our social media space, 
radio and podcasting, to your point, audio is so much more important than it ever has been before because you can go direct to your audience without the ability to be curtailed or canceled. And Julie Talbot is awesome. And I, I know her a bit and has stuck by Rush all these years, even when he got himself in some hot water. So you've got, you know, a strong, a steely spined person behind you. And that, that's everything. I got to ask you, Clay, about um, Fox and what's happening with OutKick. Did you, did you, now, you know, I'm not a sports person, but I do go to OutKick. I do, because I want to hear you and I like Bobby. Um, so what's, what's happening now? Have you sold OutKick to Murdoch yeah. or like what's happening? Yeah, the, the Fox people. So we had a lot of people trying to buy OutKick. I think I talked about that with you maybe a little while ago, the last time I was on. Um, yeah, it wasn't a, a deal yet, though. Yeah, it wasn't a deal yet. There were a lot of people that were, uh, that were making inquiries. And ultimately, the, the, the pitch that Fox put in front of us was just so substantial in terms of being able to put jet fuel on OutKick. And, and this kind of goes to the point earlier with so much of our audience is reliant on Facebook or Twitter or YouTube being able to distribute our content. And I, the more and more I looked at it, we needed a big partner to ensure that we didn't get silenced and we didn't get canceled. And so I thought about this a lot, uh, but ultimately it made the most sense. And look, I'm still going to be running OutKick the same way the, the, for the next five years or more. Uh, I'm the president of OutKick, driving all the editorial decision-making, doing things that we ordinarily would be doing. Uh, but Fox basically said, hey, we think what you're doing at OutKick sort of links the sports world with the Fox News universe. Uh, you are a bridge between those two parts of Fox. And, uh, and, 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 and what they sold us on was, uh, was something that made a lot of sense, not just in, in sports and not just in politics. We focus a lot on sports gambling. And uh, for people who haven't checked it out, check out OutKick.com. It's a fun place to hang out. And, uh, and I think they're the perfect partner. So I couldn't say no. They kept coming back to me and finally... Uh, I said, you know, this is just too good of an opportunity. Well, to the same point, right? It's like, I really, I think the world of Lachlan Murdoch, and I think he's been fantastic. He would never cut and run. Never. And we need more bosses like that out there. You know, not that he's your boss, but I'm just saying like, we need more partners like that. He got on and said that he said, look, I love what you're doing at OutKick. Uh, you know how difficult it can be sometimes to fight these battles with advertisers and with the big tech companies and everybody else. And he basically said, hey, I want to have your back for years and years to come and grow and out into it. a massive thing. Yeah. Now, let's see if he means it the way Jeff. Z it, let's see if he loves you the way Jeff Zucker loves <laughs> Jeffrey Tubin. We'll <laughs> if you can get that kind of love from him. Before, yeah, no kidding. Really <laughs> Fuck. Don't ever let Clay do that on a Zoom. Or in studio. Don't worry. I'm like the chaperone of this duo, making sure that Clay doesn't get too out of hand. <laughs> Listen, I think it's so great. It's brilliant because you guys are smart, you're insightful, you're fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to listening. And as you know, all the best. Come on anytime. Please don't abandon me because I love having you both on and I'll be listening. No, we need to get you on the show too. It'll be fun. We'll have you on. Yeah, on Megan. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, this is a two-way street. When's Megan coming on the biggest radio show in America? Anytime. And I'll, I'm going to wear the old Victoria's Secret stuff and everyone's going to say, oh, for the love of God, cover up, woman. <laughs> 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 It'll be fantastic. Megan, appreciate it. Well, that was fun. Those guys are going to do great. I want to mention to you that one of the reasons I went down to Florida, it wasn't all pleasure. 
um, although what I did professionally was a pleasure too, is I spoke to a group called Moms for Liberty. You guys need to check out this group. Go ahead and Google them if you're not familiar with them already, because I'm already seeing them pop up in different signatures and different movements around the country. And um, it's a it's a growing group started by two moms down in Florida who had had about enough of the indoctrination that we've been seeing in schools and um, got on the school board and tried to push for change that way and ran into brick walls, even in a Florida's more red. It's more purple, really, to be honest. Um, even in a state like that, you can run into pushback when it comes to things like pushing back against critical race theory and indoctrination on gender issues, yada, yada. Anyway, so they were gracious enough to host me down in Orlando, Florida, just outside of Orlando for, for a bit on uh, last Friday. And I had such a great time. It is so nice to get around people who are fighting the same battles you are and who aren't always on the other side, (laughs) right? It's like, that's what I'm used to, being around people who don't agree with me. That's okay too, there's merit to it. But it's wonderful to see such an active, engaged group fighting for the things that I happen to believe in too. And so if you don't already know who they are, check it out because this is something that you could actually join. They have a mission and they have chapters all over the country now. And they will help you figure out how to affect change in your town. These women have been marginalized. They've been called names. They've had actually horrible stuff done to them. They just will not give up. Two moms, Tiffany Justice and Tina Deskovich. I apologize to Tina if that's not how you pronounce the last name. I could have screwed that up. Uh, But it's Tiffany and Tina. And they are forces with which to be reckoned. Anyway, they've got chapters all over the country. And uh, if you are somebody, doesn't have to be a mom, could be a dad too, but if you are somebody who's struggling with what to do uh, in your child's school district, check them out. It's momsforliberty.org. Great place to start in fighting back. All right, coming up next show, do not forget to tune in because we have got Gad Sad. I love that name, right? It's fun, Gad Sad. Now, he is an evolutionary behavioral scientist, but I first got to know him when he published The Parasitic Mind how infectious ideas are killing common sense. You need to read this book, but start by listening to Gad, and then you can decide for yourself whether you want more of this brilliant man's thinking in your life, because I know the answer is going to be yes. Not only is he is he full of common sense and wisdom and insightful ways of looking at things, but he's funny. Uh, anyway, he's next. Don't miss it. Thanks for listening to The Megan Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. The Megan Kelly Show is a Devil May Care media production in collaboration with Red Seat Ventures. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.